You know, one of the greatest things that God has ever given us is relationships. The greatest relationship at all of all is a relationship with him that will last through eternity and beyond and beyond. <clears throat> and I want to talk to you about that today, the hidden power of relationships. Holy Spirit, I pray over the next few moments that you will trust me one more time with your words, your people, your presence, and your power. I pray that you would open the hearts of everyone here today and those that may be listening, Father, to speak a word just to them while I'm talking today. We give you praise and honor. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing here and around the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless you and praise you today. We're humbled in your presence this morning. Amen. <clears throat> you know, the Bible is full of stories, stories about real people. And we, they're there so that we can learn. And every story is, is packed with life principles. And I want to take you to a story in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. It's about a, a, young, a young lady, that, um, a young mother, a young wife that finds herself in a predicament that is tough. Anybody ever been in a tough place in your life? Kind of wave at me if you've ever been in a tough place. And her story is found in 2 Kings chapter 4, starting with verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, <clears throat> saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be a slave. Now this, this young woman, probably in her, in her 20s, her husband's in the school of the prophets. Elisha is the head prophet over the school. We don't know why, but some explained, unexplained reason he dies prematurely. They have two little boys and they owe money. And uh, in that day and time, if uh, you owed someone money and you couldn't pay them and you had children, they could legally take your children and enslave them to work off the debt that you owe. And that's the predicament. That's the tough spot she found herself in. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? <clears throat> and she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Everybody say a jar of oil. And then he said, well, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather just a few. And when she, you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, and then pour it into all of those vessels, that little jar of oil. Pour it into all of those vessels and set aside the full ones. <clears throat> so she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another one. And they said, well, mama, they're not anymore. There's not another vessel. So the oil ceased. And then she came to tell the man of God. He said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. Now notice this last part. It's very important. And you and your sons live on the rest. This woman went <clears throat> from being repossessed, her house being repossessed by the bank one day to serving on the bank board the next day. Notice it says that pay your, your debts and you and your sons live on the rest. That's the kind of miracle I like to have. How about you? I mean, it wasn't just a small miracle. It was a big miracle. But how did it get to be such a big miracle? That's what I want to talk about today. You see, <clears throat> what she had in her house represented her faith. She had something. You know, Elisha, she could have said, Elisha, I, I want you to get the church together and let's have a bake sale. And let's sell cakes and pies and, and raise money for my debt. And let's have a, 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 a night of worship and take up an offering just for me. No, he said, what do you have in your house? 
See, God always starts with something we have for the miracle that he has. Well, say it again. He always starts with something we have for the miracle that he has for us. And what we have is faith. The Bible says everyone has been given a measure of faith. The measure means a seed. And that seed has to be planted. It has to be executed. It has to be released. That's why he said, what do you have in your house? And at first she said, I don't have anything. But no, 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 I've I've got this little jar of oil. And that's all God needed to start with. Moses was faced with the predicament one time. In his old age, God spoke to him and said, I'm going to send you back to Pharaoh, and you're going to deliver my people. He said, I can't do that. I can't do that. I don't have anything. God said, what's that in your hand? Well, I just got this stick in my hand. It's a a staff. It's a shepherd's staff. Okay, let's start with that. See, Moses had a staff. Joshua had a Jericho march. Caleb had his undying passion for a mountain. David had a slingshot and a pocket full of rocks. What do you have in your house? Esther had her influence, Elisha had his double portion, Elijah had his altar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had their obedience. Daniel had his prayer, Jonah had his repentance, Zacchaeus had a tree to climb, blind Bartimaeus had a voice to cry out, the mother at the table of Jesus pleading with him for, to deliver her daughter, she had the crumbs off of the table. Paul and Silas had a song in the night in prison, Philip had an answer for the Ethiopian man, Stephen gave his life for Jesus, Jesus gave his life for us. What do you have in your house? Now, some of you sitting here and say, I don't need anything today. I'm, I'm full. Everything's all good. Well, then just stick this message in your pocket for later on. But if you're in a position today where you need God to speak to you, you need God to move in your life, you, you need a miracle in your life of some kind, I want you to listen close because we're no different than this little lady back in her day and time. She needed a miracle. She had something in her house, and I promise you do too. It's your faith. But the other part of her miracle was outside of her house. Notice that in order for the completion that God wanted to do in her life, there was something else. And verse 3 gives us the source of her, the rest of her miracle, and that was her neighbors. Everybody say neighbors. You see, she had to have the cooperation of her neighbors for her miracle to be complete. I want you to say this with me, and I want you to put the slide up. Your resources are in your relationships. Everybody say this with me. Your resources are in your relationships. Now, let's change that, and let's make it personal. Instead of saying your, say my. Are you ready? My resources are in my relationships. See, if she hadn't had good relationships with their, their neighborhood, she, she wouldn't have gotten been able to borrow many vessels. What if... What if her boys went out and knocked on doors and only one person said, here, you can have this bucket. And it's a five liter bucket. That's it. Would it have been a miracle to take a little bitty jar of oil and fill up a five liter bucket? It's not a trick question. That'd be a miracle. Then and now, that'd be a miracle. And she may have been able to pay her debt for a month or two and catch up on her bills. But then in a couple of months or so, she's going to be right back where she was and in need of another miracle. But her miracle was so expansive that she didn't have to work the rest of her life. Sell, pay your debt, you and your sons live on the rest. How in the world did that happen? Well, we have to understand something. Her faith, your faith, determines the quality of your miracle. But her relationships determine the quantity of her miracle. You see, the more relationships she had, the more buckets and barrels and empty vases she could get. 
because she had good relationships with her neighbors, she could fill her entire house up with empty vessels. And she had so much oil that it made her a wealthy woman. That represents relationships. There's a key ingredient for relationships, the most powerful thing God gives us. God, if God wants to bless your life, he'll bring, usually bring a relationship into your life. He'll bring somebody. If he wants to bless you in a special way, he wants to move you in a different direction, he'll bring somebody to bless you in your life. Guess what? Satan has watched God do that, and he's counterfeited that. So Satan, when he wants to curse you, he will try to bring somebody in your life to curse you, to distract you from your destiny, to pull you away from what God wants to do in your life. You say, I resemble that remark, Pastor. I've had that happen to me before. Well, don't stop there. Move forward. Because for every bad relationship, God has a bunch of good relationships. In fact, if we want to look at Jesus, <clears throat> when he instituted the Lord's Supper, the, the, the new covenant, perhaps the most important moment in his ministry outside of Calvary, he sat down with his 12 and he took the bread and said, this is my body. Now that's not what they did at the Jewish Passover. This is my body which is broken for you. This cup is my blood of the new covenant. And he revealed to them that the Passover was not just about their history, it was about their future and about our future today. And yet when he sat down to institute that, one of his 12 got up and left to betray him. But he didn't leave the 11 and get mad and say, I'm going to start all over. I'm going to fire every one of these guys. I'm so, I'm so frustrated. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to go back to point zero and start over again, do this thing another three years, see if I can find me some better guys. No, he didn't do that. He said to Judas, what you do, do quickly. And then he turned to the 11 and he imparted life to them. I would say for every bad relationship that you have, or Satan brings in your path, there are 11 good ones that God's got for your life. Turn to somebody and say he's talking about you right now. Come on. You know, I, I've, I've come up with five relationships that we all need in our life. Five of them. Now, there's probably more, and, and they're not all named. They're, they're specific relationships. Let me give them to you real quick. And I just added this this morning, so I don't think it's going to be on the screen. So you got to listen, okay? The first one is encouragement. Say that with me encouragement. Oh, we like that. Isaiah 41, 6 says, everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, be of good courage. We, we all, we all like people to encourage us, don't we? Where would Paul be without Barnabas? Barnabas's name means son of encouragement. He was an encourager to Paul and help. We all need people to encourage us and build us up and say, you can do it. Come on, come on, you can make it. We're not designed to live as islands all alone. You live on an island, but you're not alone on this island. I mean, I, everywhere I go, there's people. So you're not alone. But some people want to live alone. And, and you'll never experience God's purpose, God's blessing, God's destiny, and you'll never bless people yourself when you decide to live alone like that as an island. And here, here, Barnabas encouraged Paul. We all need people to lift us up, to build us up, to encourage us in life. It's so very important to have those people in our life. Anybody here beside me ever been discouraged? Oh, let's say, wow, what a country. There's only like five people, pastor. <laughs> you are the most incredible pastor I have ever met. You only have five people in your church that's ever been discouraged. What an encourager. Wow. 
His face has turned red. <laughs> let, let, me, let me tell you the second type of friend and relationship we need. Now, hang on. You need the relationships of discouragement. What? Are you crazy? Can we go back to encouragement? Let's go back to number one and talk about that a little bit. But let me explain what I meant. Let me explain. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. When I say discouragement, what I mean is you need people in your life that love you enough to speak the truth in love to you when you're getting off track. You need those close relationships. I, I, I call it this way. I've got, this is my hotel card right there. That's my card to get in my hotel room, okay? I'm gonna use this as an example. <clears throat> I, I like to say it this way. You need someone in your life that you give the shut up card to. What do you mean shut up? That's not nice. If your mama's here, she'd call you down. She would, but she's not here. What's the shut up card? Let me, let me explain it. Let me explain it to you. You're getting off doctrinally. You're following some idiot over here. You're moving in the wrong direction. Whoa, stop. Whoa, 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 whoa. Shut up. Stop that. You're heading in the wrong direction. Brother, we went out to eat the other night with our wives, and I noticed that three different times you, you kind of made fun of your wife. <laughs> and and I, noticed, I watched the expression on her face. It, it hurt her. Let's say it together. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about being mean and rude and all. I'm talking about that you've got the level of relationship with someone where they can say, man, I love you. But dude, the other night at dinner, that, dude, you, you need to stop that. <laughs> and, and, and his response should be, you know, I, I wasn't aware of that. I was blinded to that. Thank, thank you for, thank you for showing me that. Instead of saying to me, shut up. <laughs> you know, I know of ministers, I've, I've seen some preachers, which is my area, you know, of, that, that they had big ministries, but they didn't have anybody that had the shut up card in their life. And they got goofy and they got weird and they got off track and they got an error and people would try to go to them, correct them, and they wouldn't have it. You know why? Because they did not have this relationship in their life. They didn't have somebody to speak the truth in love. And many of them are not even in the ministry down. Their marriages are in the pits. Their, their, their children are crazy. And, and, and the devil has destroyed everything that God wanted them to have all because they didn't have somebody to speak the truth truth in love to them. And we have to be intentional about this, by the way. We have to do this on purpose to have these type of, you said, do you have people like that in your life? I do. I do. And it's not always fun when they say, uh, Gary, uh, let me talk to you about something. <laughs> Who, me? You talking to me? Yeah. 
But, but if you want to be productive, if you want to have the richness of relationships, you need someone that can speak the truth in love in your life. Here's another one. Number three, guidance. In chapter 8 of Acts, <clears throat> Philip is translated to a place on a road where the Ethiopian eunuch is going by in a chariot, and he hears him reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he says to him, do you understand what you're reading? And in verse 31, the, the, the Ethiopian said back to him, how can I unless someone guides me? We all need guides in our life. We all need people that we can bounce ideas off of. We all need people that we can talk to. Iron sharpens iron, Proverbs says. We, we need people that we can say, I'm thinking about doing this, what do you think? The person that never asks for anybody's opinion about what they're doing is running down a road blind. If all you have is your opinion, if all you have is your knowledge, if all, then, then you're running with, 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 with a really light load. Okay? Your, your cup's not very full. Why not use the richness of relationships of people? What do you think about this? And I'm not talking about somebody on the street. Hey, buddy, I don't know your name, but can you tell me about my life? No, no, no. I'm talking about people that are qualified to speak. The Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And a counselor is someone that is qualified to speak to a specific subject. So I don't go to my dentist and ask him about fixing my car. I don't go to my mechanic and say, you know what, I've been having a pain in my back. Could you get some tools out and operate on my back? No, 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 no. But I'm going to take my car to my mechanic. I'm going to get my dentist to look at my teeth, and I'm going to see my physician about my back. Why? Because they're qualified to counsel me in that area. It's so important to have people in your life that are guidance, can help guide you. Here's another one. <clears throat> the fourth one, a model or a mentor. Paul said something outstanding. Some people would say audacious. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. What? Yeah. Follow me as I follow Christ is what he's saying. We all need models and mentors in our lives. We need people that can help us and, and, and we can look to and we can follow, we can learn. They're further down the road than we are. We need models and mentors in our, in our marriage. If you're married, been married 20 years, good for you. You need somebody that's been married 40 years. See, In March of this coming next year, my wife Rose and I will have been married 50 years. 50 years. Where did that happen? We met in the first grade. I, we were, I was five years old when I met her. <laughs> Took me a while to catch her, but I did. I finally did. You know. It's, you need, in business, you need models and mentors in business. Pastors need models and mentors in, in, in pastoring. We, we need that in every area of our life. I didn't come into the ministry the standard way. You know, get out of high school, go to Bible college, get your undergrad, then get your master's degree, and then get your doctorate. And then, and then now that you're all degreed up, then you can go into ministry and start doing something. And I didn't do that. I had a scholarship waiting for me when I graduated high school uh, at a, one of our major universities. I had a scholarship. And uh, it was the end of the Vietnam War in the United States at that time. Apathy is running high among teenagers. The threat of nuclear war with the Soviet Union was going strong. And, and I lived in a, an area called, a rural area called Western Kentucky. I'm from the state of Kentucky. You know what else is from Kentucky? 
Fried chicken, okay? <laughs> KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Okay, all right. By the way, Colonel Sanders got saved in a friend of mine's church in Louisville, Kentucky, <clears throat> before, before, in his older age, yeah. And he used to travel with him as a young, young man. But I, I grew up in what was called the West Kentucky Coal Field. And so my daddy was an underground coal miner. My grandfathers were underground coal miners. My uncles were underground coal miners. And when I got out of high school and turned 18, instead of going to university on a scholarship that was waiting for me, I went to work in the underground coal mines. <clears throat> I know you all have, have, are invested in, the, in Wales and the Bible College there and Reese Howells. There's, there's one thing that Reese Howells and I have in common. We both worked in the underground coal mines. I worked underground for 12 years. Yeah. The coal seam was about this thick. In, in, in our measurement, inches about 54 inches. It would vary between 48 and 60 inches. Okay. So that's your coal seam. So <clears throat> you had to walk like this. Okay. But I had a call of God on my life, but I didn't want to be a preacher. I, I, I didn't know of any preachers I wanted to be like. I wanted to be a businessman. So for 10 years, I pursued that. That's what I wanted to be. So I didn't, I can't, I went, there's no preachers in my, in my lineage my mom and dad are Christians. They, they took me to church. They served God all their lives. But there's no preachers in my family. I was the first one. And, and my pastor, I'm talking about having a model and a mentor, okay? My pastor was a good preacher. He built the church on preaching. But when he finished preaching, he walked out the door and that was it. I don't, know that, I don't think he could spell the word mentor. Now, he's in heaven now with his reward. God bless him. He, was a, he taught me many things. Some of the things, a lot of what he taught me was how not to pastor. Oh, yeah, you can learn how not to do something from somebody, okay? Yeah, you can learn from everybody. And I don't say that disparaging. I'm just saying that was, that was my, that's my story. I didn't have a model. I didn't have a mentor. And I certainly didn't want to be like him when I finally realized that God had called me into ministry. I said, I don't, I don't know what a pastor looks like, but I know it don't look like that. So help me, God. So I, I, had, to, I had to search for mentors. I had, and that was before cell phones and internet. And some of you are like, you mean there was a time before internet and cell phones? Yeah, really, Google that. And, and, and I had to buy what they called cassette tapes. You have to Google that too. And, and I have boxes full of them still in my attic of where I'd listen to guys. And, and, and you can have mentors close up and you can have mentors from afar. And, and, there's some, and I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. Now that I've met your pastor, I'm going to go online and watch his messages and steal them and preach them in my church. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And, and I can give you illustration after illustration about how I've had pursue people and, and, and call, call people. I had been pastoring six months I was working in the underground coal mine six days a week from midnight to eight in the morning and pastoring and preaching three times a week and leading worship and teaching Sunday school and having a family with two daughters at that time. And I had my first funeral and it was a suicide. A young girl was coming with her little girl, baby. She was about 20 and she had a husband who was about 24 and he wouldn't come. And one morning sitting in his pickup truck, he was drunk and doing drugs and took a pistol and shot his brains out. That was my first funeral. I'd never done a funeral. 
So I got on the phone and called a guy that was a pastor that had befriended me and helped me some. I said, here's what I'm facing. What do I do? And he literally walked me through that. And I had to do the funeral being assisted by the older Methodist pastor who was highly trained. And I had to make it look like I knew what I was doing. And I did because I had somebody that could model it for me. And I did that funeral and people thought I'd done them for years. And I walked away thinking, oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Why? Because I, I, I reached out. Listen, if you sit home on your couch and say, Jesus, send me somebody. Send me a mentor, Jesus. Get up off the couch and go look for one. Okay? You got to pursue Mentors have to be pursued. I don't have time to talk more about that. Let's look at the last one. Here's the last relationship we need. And the last relationship is celebration. Everybody say celebration. John 14, 28, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, if you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father for my Father's greater than I. She said, look, you need to celebrate my destiny. If you really love me, you would rejoice. Another word for rejoice is celebrate. You would celebrate what I'm doing. You need people, we need relationships that celebrate us instead of tolerate us. If you go to somebody and say, hey, Hey, I just went to the Lyft conference. Oh, I got a word from God. I am so excited about what God's going to do. And they said, that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't get to go, but I've been praying for you. I've been praying that God would give you a word. I'm so, tell me about that word. Oh, ever, did, did you have it recorded? Hey, tell me about it. I'm so excited about what That's a person that celebrates you. But if you tell someone that same thing, I got a word at the lift. I, I went to Cornerstone Churches this morning. I heard this weird guy from somewhere in, in the USA, and he said this, and God showed this, and I'm so excited about this. If they respond by saying, uh, did you watch the football game? Um, really? Uh, that's nice. Uh, uh, let, me, let, me, let me tell you about, you know, I took my dog to the vet last week, and, and he had this problem. They're not celebrating you. They don't care about you. They're not excited about what you're doing. You need someone that celebrates your life, that they're excited about what you're excited about. You speak the same language. I get around some pastors, and we don't speak the same language. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know? Well, everybody wants revival. No, they don't. Everybody wants a move of God. No, no, they don't. No. Somebody, some of them just want you to move out of the way so they can continue to do what they've been doing for all their life and then before them and before them and before them because they're comfortable. 
They're not going to get out of the boat and walk on the water with Jesus. That's what I want to do. I'm not sitting in the boat. I don't know about you. I see Jesus out there walking around. I'm not sitting in the boat of traditionalism. I'm not going to sit in the boat of this is the way we've always done it. I'm not, I'm not going to sit in that boat. And if you're in business, you don't sit in that boat or you get, you get lost behind too, right? I mean, things are moving so fast. You got to be ready to move. You need people around you that celebrate you. How much time have I got? 50? 50. 50. 50. I'm messing with him. I think he said 15. Okay. Listen. Relationships are the most valuable thing that God gives us. Are you getting anything here this morning? Let me give you four quick things about how how to build a relationship. You know, the Bible says if you're going to be on a friend, you got to be friendly. If you're not friendly, you're not going to have friends, okay? Let, let me give you some tips on, on, on just being friendly. I thought he's going to talk about Jesus today. I am talking about Jesus. Jesus got 12 guys around him, and he poured his life into them. Relationship, relationship, relationship. They learned from him. They walked with him. They ate with him. They bedded down with him. They, 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 they were persecuted with him. They watched all of that. And then he says, I'm leaving. You got it, guys. Are you kidding me? But they got it. They did it. Why? Because of relationship. The first tip would be, be real. Just be real. Be the best you that you can be, but be you. Well, I'm afraid that people won't like the real me. Well, that's not your group. That's not your cell group. Find the group that does like just you. I get in groups of pastors. I don't feel comfortable. Okay? I don't, you know, it's, it's not, they're not nothing wrong with them. They're great doing, doing 10 times more than what I'm doing, but it's not my group because they don't, they don't, like me for who I am. I, I'm just common, plain. I'm, I'm not a theorist and I'm not an academist. I got good grades in school. I had a scholarship waiting for me in university. I'm not dumb. Well, it depends on who you ask. But I'm a practicalist. When I preach, I don't want to preach anything on Sunday that won't work on Monday. Because see, for 10 years before I went in the ministry, I sat where you sat and listened to the preacher. Sometimes I left and, man, that's a good sermon. Well, what did he preach about? Uh, you know, it's been about 15 minutes. I can't remember. <laughs> See, I want you to walk out of here and remember at least one thing that can impact your life in the positive. Be real. Just be you. And find the group that likes you. Get in that cell group. Here's the second thing. Be relatable. So what do you mean? Don't be goofy and weird. Just be relatable. You know, I see preachers that, that to get in the pulpit, they're one thing in the pulpit and something different down here. In the pulpit, we're here today to worship God. The glory of the Lord is in this place. I'm thinking, dude, is that how you order at the restaurant? <laughs> I'll have the doodles and the pancakes.
relatable. You know, that was the biggest problem when I started pastoring. Some pastors criticized me because I, didn't, I wasn't spiritual enough. People laughed when I, I mean, I just have a sarcastic sense of humor, I guess, and it just comes out when I talk. And people laugh, and I thought, oh, what did I say wrong? Because in church, oh, if you're laughing, you're, you're sinning. People laughed when I, just like you're doing right now. And it took me a while, Pastor, to get realize that that's just me. Now, I'm, I try to have something from the Bible in between all of it, but, but it's just me. It's, it's my flow. It's the way I communicate. But it's the way I communicate in the restaurant, too. It's the way I communicate. That's just me. Just be you. Be real. Be relatable. Be honest. Honesty is the platform of all, foundation of all relationships. When you take the honesty plank out of the relationship, it's going to fall apart. And start honest and stay honest. Just be honest in your relationship. Be honest. Be honest in it. Be real, be relatable, be honest, and be wise. What do you see me be wise? Well, don't be pushy and overbearing. Give people time to know you. You know, there's some people, we have different personalities. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. My wife was voted most friendly of our senior class. She's here. She'd have a big smile. She's bubbly. You, you just love her. I mean, she walks in the room and lights up the room and cheerleads. And you, 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 love, my, you love my wife. I was voted most sophisticated in my senior class. Now, you've got to understand, I couldn't even spell sophisticated. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know it was a category. I'm quiet, believe it or not. I'm actually an introvert. You say, what's that? I don't know, but that's what I've been told. I'm an introvert. Okay? I, I like my own company. But I love to be with people. See, Just be you. Don't, don't be goofy. Don't be weird. Don't be pushy. Oh, Brother Timothy, I just want to be your friend. I want to be your friend. I really want to be your friend. Can we be friends? Can we change money? Can I give you an email? Can you like my Facebook page? I really want to be your friend. I really want to be your friend. Can we go out and get something to eat right now? Come on, I'll pay. No, you pay. Don't do that. That's not wise, okay? And then he's like, no. I don't do crazy people. You see, the most powerful thing God has given us are relationships. You've probably heard it said before that um, when you die, you can't take anything with you. I know of a guy in Texas, it's a state in, in America, that had this big Cadillac. This was back when the Cadillacs were real big. And he was buried in it, sitting behind the wheel, buried in his Cadillac. Won't take it with him. Can't do that. But there is something you can take from this world into eternity and it's relationships. Every person you lead to the Lord, you can take them to heaven with you. You can take your family with you. You can take your friends with you. You can take them. Now the inverse is true as well. I believe right now in hell, there are boys and girls or, or sons and daughters that are grown 
on planet earth, but they're in hell now that are screaming at their parents. Why didn't you let us go to church? Why didn't you tell us about God? Why didn't you serve God and train us up to know the living, powerful God? Why did you tell us there was no hell? Why did you say hell is just going to be a big party? Let's all go. Why did you do that? Now, there'll be people, and I believe there are people in hell right now that are realizing, I brought somebody with me. I wish I hadn't have done that. Relationships are eternal. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You can. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. That's, that's any of us. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I've learned that you're never more than one simple, sincere prayer away from the love and grace of God. One simple, sincere prayer of repentance. No, pastor, you don't, you don't know me. No, I don't. I'm a million miles away from God. No, you're not. One simple, sincere prayer of repentance. And I'd like to lead you in that prayer this morning. I'd like to lead you to where he is waiting for you. listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.